Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Happy New Year! I hope you had a healthy, happy, and restful holiday. My guess is that you may have spent a lot of it in turmoil. And as the new year rolled in, you may be more ready than ever to make some changes. And if that's the case, I got to tell you, you are far from alone. They say that January is divorce month. Yeah, they named it that. (laughs) And I can, without hesitation, say that that's because of the number of us who just hit the end of our ropes over the holiday and end up setting New Year's intentions to finally make a change come hell or high water, which is exactly what happened to me on Christmas Eve 11 years ago. So if this is you, please know that I have got you. I know exactly what you're going through. Uh, Even if this isn't you, you know I got you too. (laughs) But if you're at this stage right now and know that you're going to need strength to get through everything that comes next... I'm going to be running a live version of my program, Rooted, which will start on February 3rd. So this is my six-week introductory program that's designed to help you find your strength, build your confidence, and step into your power. So there's a link in the show notes so you can find out more information. And I'm going to be talking about it quite a bit in my um, Facebook group coming up. So there's a link to join that too if you're not already in there. Um, so, I mean, here's the thing you can get through this alone or you can get through it with the hands of a community of women on your back, along with one kick-ass coach who's been through all of this. So I know which one I would choose, and I'm really hoping that you're going to join me for this six week journey. I don't run live programs very often anymore. So, um, this is a, a great opportunity to sort of get in the trenches and be on weekly calls with me and do work uh, with a group of women, but being led by me specifically. So um, I hope you will uh, join us in that. So about today's episode, I have an amazing guest with me today, Megan Hunter. Megan is an expert on high conflict disputes, complicated relationships, and borderline personality disorder. She's the co-founder of the High Conflict Institute, along with author and speaker Bill Eddy, who developed the high conflict personality theory. Megan developed the concept of the Institute after 13 years in family law as the family law specialist with the Arizona Supreme Court and child support manager of the Dawes County Attorney's Office in Nebraska. She is the CEO of Unhooked Media, a U.S.-based media company, and she's the author of the High Conflict Co-Parenting Survival Guide, Dating Radar, and Bait and Switch. So the bottom line is, if you're involved in a high-conflict co-parenting situation, this episode is going to shed a lot of light on some super important issues for you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Megan Hunter. Megan Hunter, thank you so much for being here and joining us on the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. I am super excited to have you here. Well, I am super excited to be here. So thank you for having me. And um, it's my pleasure to be, you know, on your podcast, which is awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, all right, you, you know, your main thing, everything you do really is about high conflict. You are the co-founder of the High Conflict Institute with Bill Eddy. Like this is your realm is high conflict. Yeah, and yeah, and and you know my co-founder at High Conflict Institute, Bill Eddy. We we kind of people refer to us sometimes as Mister High Conflict and Mrs. High Conflict, even though we're not married and we're not you know 
the yeah. largest business partners, but yeah. it is kind of funny to be referred to as, you know, the high conflict people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, thank God, right? Because I, I don't, I don't know if you're, I'm curious actually about your experience. Are you finding this to be an increasing problem? We are. Um, I, you know, when we started HCI about, uh, let's see, 13 years ago, it was in 2008. Um, you know, high conflict cases were a problem then in the divorce courts. That's sort of where we had our, our starting days. And um, uh, Bill at that time was saying, look, high conflict people, you know, just these high conflict disputes are going to be increasing in the next 10 years, in the next decades. And, you know, he, it turns out he was right because we go back now to some of the same people that we trained a decade ago, you know, they'll come to a training or, you know, many people have stayed in touch and we'll ask them, you know, are you having, uh, are you seeing an increase in high conflict disputes in your caseloads, in your professional realm? And the answer is always, yes, we are. And in fact, um, I was training in Australia back in June and one uh, woman said, uh, you know, she was a, an attendee, she was a lawyer a family law attorney, she said, you know, what I've found interesting the last five years is I've had more stranglings in my caseload than in my previous 25 years. Oh my God. Yeah. It was a kind of that moment. Um, Yeah. Right to the gut. Um, So, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty extreme one, but I think we're just seeing more you know, a, a heightened sense of, of conflict, of blame, of high drama. And um, just, it's kind of like, um, it's my right to be upset and be in conflict with somebody. So, okay. I have, I have so many questions right now um, about everything you just said. I mean, the first, the first is what made Bill Eddy make that prediction? I mean, it's sort of interesting, like, right. We can look at it in hindsight. Do you know how he saw that in foresight? Well, you know, there are certain people that just sort of have that vision, you know, for the, yeah. <laughs> for the future. And he's one of those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think because of his background as a mental health professional, and then he became a lawyer, and he actually started as a kindergarten teacher. So he's kind of seen the whole, you know, spectrum. Um, and, you know, just years of experience led him to, to and, and I think looking where we we're going as a culture right? What is happening in pop culture? What's happening on television, in music? And it just, the way, the trajectory pointed to more conflict and less emotional stability, higher anxiety, and all of that just leads to more conflict. Wow. You can look back and be like, yes, of course there was a path here. To me, it's just distressing how much is, you know, how much this is increasing Um, in my client load. And for the most part, I'm dealing with people, you know, because I'm a life coach, right? Mm -hmm. So when women are coming to me, they're obviously people who are interested in doing work, right? They're, they're interested in personal development. And so they're, they tend to be less high, you know, more conflict averse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and more involved in relationships though with, with men. So I, do you see it more with men than women or do you see it as being equal? I mean, I see it cause I only, I'm looking at one side, right? Cause I'm really just working with women, but what is your experience, uh, and the data, yeah. what does the data show at this point? Uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, we do in every train training we give, we do kind of a gender test of the audience <laughs> yeah. to see if they believe that there are more women that behave this way or more men. Um, we have kind of five different categories um, and we test people on them. And it, it's, it's really so interesting because, you know, we don't even know how many people we trained at this point, but probably let's say to at least 250,000. There's never been one room where they've gotten it right because there's this real bias that women are histrionic and kind of psycho and crazy when a a man could have the same exact behaviors, but be called, you know, said to have anger management issues. Right. Uh uh um, And it's, you know, we don't have to diagnose or label people, but if we understand, if we avoid looking at gender 
and we just look at behaviors, you know, it, you, you can get a lot further because then you have, you can apply techniques, the right techniques to, to help people um, and to, you know, kind of to deal with people. Um, so it's, it, I really like doing the test because it busts all those gender stereotypes. Yeah. And we really see, I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's kind of amazing to see <laughs> I'm, uh, every room. It's the same thing. 100% of the time. So what you see is people saying that women are more hysterical and that women are more high conflict. And the truth is that men tend to be, is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying it's, it's really, um, pretty equal. It's just, it is, it is equal. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I, that was a long answer uh, no, 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 <laughs> to no. get to the nugget, but it was, yeah, it's, it's, um, either side can have, you know, either sex can have, um, these high conflict traits, these high sure. conflict behaviors. So I think, yeah. you know, as females, we've kind of, we're like, oh, we can never find a, a good man. There are no good men out there, but it's really not true. Yeah. There are women with bad behaviors. There are men with bad behaviors and you've just got smart. <laughs> oh, Bill and I read another book called Dating Radar and um, it's, you know, it's about just being smart about who you choose to have in your life, you know, who you choose to have children with, get married to, live with, mm-hmm. be financially entangled with, you know, romantically involved with all that. So it's so important to be smart. Whether oh you're a woman, you've got to look out for these. There's like four main characteristics that you really have to watch for and be aware of. And, you know, that's a whole nother line, but yeah. Well, no, actually I do want, (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about those. Okay. I mean, this is because this is what people are dealing with. Right. And so I'm assuming that you are talking about the high conflict personality, right? The four traits of a high conflict personality. Yes, that is exactly it. So tell Um, us what those are. Okay. So essentially it's, um, the first one is, is sort of this all or nothing thinking, you know, well, she doesn't like me, so I'm out of here. Uh huh. Um, I, they, they treated me poorly, so they're out of my life forever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a lot of all or nothing, all or nothing. Yeah. Um, so that's the first, the second is unmanaged emotions. And that's just, you know, like kind of beyond the norm, right? Because um, any of us can can be overly emotional at times, but there's a pattern to this where there's maybe high anxiety a lot of the time or an intensity to the emotions that is absent in most people. It's like, an, you know, someone that tells you this really, really intense story and you kind of, you're drawn in, but eventually you kind of want to back away because it's so intense. It's blowing up, cursing, yelling, screaming, um, just sort of a pattern of this, right? Uh-huh. And then the third is extreme behaviors, extreme actions. And so you see this, this kind of this high conflict personality type um, individual doing things that 90% of people wouldn't do. Right. So it may be slashing someone's tires. It may be jumping out of a moving car. It could be posting something, you know, like naked pics on social media of someone else, you know, or public shaming, you know, withholding, uh, making accusations of of abuse that aren't really true. Those are extreme actions. Yep. And then the fourth and kind of the key to it all is, is the blaming. (laughs) So I'm a victim. It's all your fault. It's someone else's fault. There's always a target of blame um, when anything doesn't go quite their way or whatever. It's just such an immediate like assignment of blame. And um, they really, what people don't understand is that they honestly, honestly believe that it is someone else's fault, that someone else caused them these problems, even though they're the ones that caused them themselves. And those on the outside can see that, but they can't. Yes. Yes. You're describing uh, someone that my, my family is embroiled with. (laughs) (laughs) They're also, they're, you know, mixed personality disorders involved. It is exhausting. Yeah. There's, I think that there is nothing more exhausting than being embroiled, especially in a legal battle with someone who is of a high conflict personality, because, you know, especially when they have personality disorders, because they're not looking to solve the problem. 
right? right. <laughs> They're not looking right. for a solution here. And I love what you guys talk about is that the issues are not really the issues, right? Like yeah. you're not, you're not going to court with this person. You're not, this is not about trying to find a harmonious co-parenting solution, right? That's not what this is about. Right. And right. It's, it's, go ahead. No, I was going to say that the non high conflict person keeps sort of going at it. Like we're okay. We're just trying to find a solution here, but, but the other person, that's not what they're about. Right. Uh, bingo. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's um, because they're driven by something, something different. And that something different is this sort of high conflict personality that we have to remember they didn't ask for it. They don't know they have it. It's, it's just their operating system. It's how they developed, which probably came maybe from some childhood trauma that's unresolved, Right. maybe some genetics, maybe some attachment disruptions when they were, you know, in those uh, forming formative years uh, before age five. You know, there's a variety that we're all a recipe, but there's this one recipe that seems to develop with, into this sort of high conflict operating system. So for them, they're driven by what we call a fear-based operating system. So like if you have a, an iPhone versus an Android, they look the same. They have, they do the same things for the most part, but there are a few differences. They have a different operating system inside Yes, and doesn't make one bad or one you know, like they're just different. Uh-huh. And so what happens with us is we don't understand that this other person, we know they're different. They know, we know they exhaust us and that there's chaos, but we don't know, you know, kind of what the, that they're driven by something different. So we think they're being very intentional about being this exhausting and difficult when in reality, this is their operating system and it's all about brain function. And so this fear, this fear drives them. And so if you think about your own greatest fear, yeah. um, mine is driving on black ice, which is why I live in Arizona and I no longer live in Nebraska where there's black ice, Ugh. especially this, you know, currently um, we're near Thanksgiving where they had a huge storm. Um, so when I'm in a car on black ice, I want to be out of that car. If I can't get out of the car, I want to be behind the wheel because that means I'm in control at least a little bit, right? Because right. we, we feel out of control. So we all have our fears and, and da, da, da. But with this sort of high conflict personality individual, their fear happens around people. Yeah. It's people that it's people interactions that, that create this. So there might be a fear of feeling inferior and that is their operating system. Uh-huh. So when I feel inferior, I need to feel in control again so that I can feel safe, right? And I just I just started reading about this uh, polyvagal theory mm-hmm. in the last couple of months. And essentially, it you know in a nutshell, uh, it's a, you're in a safe state or in an unsafe state. And so when you're in a safe state, you're not in a fear state, right? Right. So let's say you're driven, your operating system is the fear of feeling inferior, right? Yep. So when you're feeling superior, you're in a safe, you're in your safe space. And as soon as something makes you feel inferior, and it could be someone's tone of voice, it could be that someone got a promotion that you didn't get or a compliment you didn't get, anything that makes you feel inferior, you, 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 you're insides want you to feel safe again because all of a sudden you now feel unsafe and when you feel unsafe your heart rate goes up your anxiety goes up and you and it all happens in microseconds yep. so yep. you got to this all happens really quickly and that's when you start blaming and da, da, da. so um that's what they're driven by so the issue isn't the issue in a big divorce case with millions of dollars it could be, or let me rephrase that. It could be a divorce case with millions of dollars, or it could be $10. It doesn't matter yes. because the issue is not the issue. Right. It's so then it come, becomes a matter of how do we manage that? And, and, and the first step really is accepting that this is how it is. Right. Yes. And you know, and I want to, I just want to like interject really quickly because I think you're absolutely right. And I think that the trap that so many people fall into, and this is what I certainly find with my clients is that, you know, understanding their, their spouse's operating system becomes actually one of their bigger stumbling blocks because then they have empathy. Usually, you know, a lot of empaths are drawn to people who are in this, this con this high conflict personality type. Right. Mm -hmm. And so 
then you've got an empath who's like, oh, I understand. It's his operating system. It's from his childhood trauma. It's from his, right? And then they go into having more compassion and wanting to help them heal their wounds <laughs> yeah. themselves from the, you know, inevitable uh, behavior uh, of this high conflict personality type. Do you, does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Absolutely. You're spot on. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's one thing to accept. I mean, you re- it's, it's kind of required if you're going to be able to manage them, but a lot of people miss that management stuff. Right. <laughs> it's like that, except that this is how they are. So now I have, and now I have to do something differently. I have yes. to learn it. It's simple techniques, but I can no longer handle this relationship the way I used to. And now I need to protect myself, be aware and learn some new skills and techniques. And, and, and I'm not the one to change them. They yes. probably need changing, but I'm not the one. I can't do it. I don't have magical powers. And if you think back to, you know, if you are one of those empaths listening um, and you think, oh, everybody ha-, you know, can change. Yeah, ish. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Some can't and won't. Uh-huh. Some will never have this awakening. Yep. Um, they, in fact, most never will. Um, and so, you're you're if if you have emp- empathy for their childhood trauma, that's fantastic. But think about how long that's been building. That recipe's been brewing a long time, and you're not the one to undo all of that just through your love and support yes. and compassion. So it's, it's a, it, it's like finding out maybe you have a cancer diagnosis and okay, now I need to accept it, but I also have to manage it. Now yeah. I have to do things very differently. Right. And I really want to like, I really want to stress this for my listeners because I, this, I think this is where so many women that I work with and that are in my Facebook groups and all of that really get stuck, which is they actually, they conflate acceptance with uh, having to be continually victimized by this. Mm, right? yeah. And that's not what acceptance is, right? Accepting what is so does not mean you have to still continue to stand in it um, or, you know, stand in the firing line of it, right? And it's not your job to fix this. It's literally mm. not your job. If the other person sees their own stuff and if they see their own trauma and they want help for their own trauma, then they have to find a trauma-informed therapist for themselves and have to begin to do a, 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 probably a lifetime of very difficult work. And it's not your fucking job to do it. <laughs> and there's a book title right there. <laughs> You're right. Not your fucking job. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's... It's true. And I mean, there are some people who can change. And, you know, when we're talking about personality disorders, there are some with borderline personality that um, do get better. They have some insight. They end up in some good, uh, like dialectical behavior therapy treatment or schema therapy or something. Um, Someone who's skilled at helping them and they can get better. Um, But they may have, like you said, they may fight it a long time. Um, But you really need, if you're that person's partner, you know, there are some successful relationships, but it, it's, it's a, it's a dicey area. Yeah. The other types of personalities, you know, there's some dangerous stuff out there. <laughs> um, and, you know, Bill and I put a survey out before we um, wrote Dating Radar because we had our theories, but we wanted to hear from people and to see, you know, it's either kind of validate or not validate our theories. And, you know, when you worked in the divorce business, a while, you, it's pretty easy to figure out, you know, see all the patterns of behavior and, and that these, and that's what <laughs> informs the theories, right? Right. So, um, so this survey was so fascinating. Um, and there, I think we have about 500 respondents and, you know, there were multiple choice uh, questions and things like that, but we also had comment sections on many of the questions and I tell you what, if, <laughs> if you read those, you, you know, you get pretty sharp about who you should avoid wow. because it's people that have been in the trenches uh-huh. with someone with a high conflict personality. And it's, um, you know, there's a, there's so much regret 
Um, I mean, there are people who also say it's wonderful that, you know, I mean, I've never regret having my kids and stuff like that, but you know, my life is hell or I've lost my kids. I can't see my kids anymore. Mm -hmm. I've lost everything, my house, my mind, my finances, my da da da. And, and kind of circling back to what you said about people who accept and then kind of just get squashed then the rest of the relationship what people need to understand is that's trauma yep. for you. Yep. Right. Yes. And it may not feel like it in the moment and you're surviving and you're handling and managing, but someday that stuff comes back to haunt you and you don't even realize it until, you know, you're drinking, you know, taking too many pills. Oh my God. Yes. Having anxiety, a lot of anger in relationships, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. um, it's, it's there. Yep. Yep been there. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It is trauma. It really is. It is a hundred percent trauma. Megan, you have a book out about this, the high conflict co-parenting survival guide. So given everything that we were just talking about (laughs) with how difficult this is, um, how, how do we survive this in a cope? You know, because everything here, here's, here's the thing that, that really frustrates me is that so often when we're dealing with high conflict personalities, right. All of the, um, advice out there is go no contact. The only way to yeah. heal from a trauma bond is to go no contact. The only way to heal from an abusive relationship is to go no contact. The only way to heal from anything high conflict is go no contact. When you co-parent with someone, you don't have that luxury. So what do we do? How do we survive? Well, I think sort of the first step is is to get a plan together. You just have to stop and step back and and do a lot of research, right? And and understand what you know how you need to proceed going forward. Um, you know, we wrote this book. Uh, my co-author is Andrea Lavrachelle, who's this amazing. A woman up in Canada who um, does a lot of coaching um, for divorced uh, parents who are co-parenting, and um, she's just really amazing. She wrote the majority of the book. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) She's a a little more scheduled than I was during the writing of it, Um, and and she's on. You know, she's she's doing the work every day with with clients, so she really had that you know in person touch with them. Um, but yeah, what it's, it's, uh, I, I tell people, you got to look at this, like, like a cancer diagnosis or any other kind of, you know, severe medical issue uh-huh. where you now really have to do things differently. And, um, you know, the old, old adage about, you know, putting on your oxygen mask first, that's what you really have to do. Yep. It's just tough in these situations. Cause if you're, you know, taking care of little kids, and you're probably working full time too. Right. You know, um, yep. that's enough. That's a whole heck of a lot. And you're packing lunches and you're paying bills and you're doing laundry and you, da, 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 da. that's, that's what we do. Right. And then you add on this layer of someone who is really trying to make your life hell yeah. and threatening the, you know, to turn, trying to turn your own children against you or to, um, try to get your kids away from you and do no contact between you and them. You know, I mean, there's there's a whole variety of, of situations or every, every, you know, exchange when you're, uh, the kids are going from one parent to the other, there's all, you know, conflict every time. And you get that knot in your gut, you know, you don't have to, it's just, it's just, it's big. It's huge. It's um, debilitating in many cases. Uh, and traumatic. So you have to get educated first and remember that you have to take care of yourself. This is different now. And you've probably been through some pretty yucky stuff for a while. Um, So there might need to be some therapy. You might need to see, you know, consult with a life coach. Um, Take whatever steps are necessary to help you heal and get grounded so you can co-parents, you know, that's just the first step. And then there's all the techniques of trying, you know, to, to co-parenting um, and, and managing the relationship. But the first one is taking care of you. Yes. And that's, and that is, you know, that can be so hard when you feel like you've got nothing left and yet it is literally like nothing else you do matters if you're not doing that. 
And, you know, I want to, I want to stress here, you know, self-care we taught with, you know, become, I think, I think we're finally um, getting more educated. Although I don't know because I'm a life coach and it's hard for me to know what's getting out to the masses and what's just like in my (laughs) sphere. Um, But, you know, we're, I think we're starting to understand that self-care is not about going and get, getting a mani-pedi and getting a massage. That self-care is about having a, an amazing therapist in your corner. Self-care is about spending, you know, the time and the money on, uh, you know, on your, your management, your, your psychological management team, whether that's your therapist, um, a coach, um, you know, all of that, right? whatever you, whatever you need to keep yourself sane to really to, so like you said, put your own oxygen mask on first, fill your own cup, whatever, whatever metaphor you want to use. Um, you cannot take care of your children. You literally can't if you are dying uh, on the inside. And so when we're talking about this and we're really talking about self-care and therapy, you know, if you can do therapy and coaching, my best, my clients who get the most mileage out of their investments are doing, um, therapy and coaching. Like my favorite, my favorite coaching clients are the ones who are also in therapy. Like I can't, I can't get anywhere if you're not doing the work with a therapist as well. Um, and I think that the, the tandem relationship between a coach and a therapist is really great because I know a lot of therapists who love working with my clients too, because they're like, you know, we're taking what we're doing here and then we're putting it into action, (laughs) right? Like we're passing the baton back and forth. Um, and I feel like if you have that foundation, you are golden. Yeah. At least from a foundational perspective. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Cause it's, it's, you don't under, you don't know the operating system that other person has. I mean, you you sort of know it having been in a relationship with that person. However, (laughs) the going forward part in co-parenting for 15 years or 18 years, um, you you just really need to be well and, and then continually be well. And that's kind of where, why Andrea and I formulated this book the way we did, um, it started out sort of differently, and I don't even remember how we started, but um, as we wrote, we realized we need something where people can get on track, uh, you know, learn to take care of themselves one week, at least once a week. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's almost kind of a reminder, and that's how we laid the book out, is, is just a, a lesson per week, a checklist every week to see if you're taking care of yourself the successes you had that week, um, things you want to try to work on the following week. Cause we're going to screw up sometimes. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. We are, we are perfect map to this. And, um, so I think this, this gives you kind of a, um, not only a roadmap, but just kind of a check-in for yourself. Um, so you can see that, okay, so I screwed up and I screamed and hung up the phone or whatever. Um, but, Next week, I think I'm going to try to, you know, meditate more or whatever, you know, your goals are during that week. But, and then each week has a little lesson about, you know, kind of getting rid of the what ifs in our life and all those little nagging doubts. And so we just, we just tried to really get in the the head of the person who's in the, the relationship, you know, co-parenting relationship with a high conflict person and um, try to maybe do some adjustments <laughs> in that thinking because we, we can get um, really bamboozled by that thinking sometimes. And we start to think that we're kind of crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, I also, I women beating themselves up, you know, like I love that you're talking about making mistakes, right? Because first of all, it's the design of the high conflict personality to make you make mistakes, right? Like they are looking for your triggers. They're looking for your buttons to push. And so when they push them and you, and then you get triggered, like, of course you do. Like they're, that's what they want from you. Yeah, uh, some big reaction. Right. And so then they can stand back and be like, wow, you're crazy. <laughs> right? Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. right. So there's that, right. That this is literally, um, the design of the, of the process of the other person. And then also like, oh my God, you've been doing it one way for so long. 
And you're, if you're doing something differently, it's brand new. This is a whole new way of operating for you. And of course you're going to fuck it up. Of course yeah. you are. And the last thing that you need is for you to beat yourself up about it and make yourself wrong about it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, the, having the compassion, the self-compassion and, you know, the, um, and the self-care to be able to go, okay, like, I love that you, that you include that because it's, God, that's so important. Yeah, it, it is. And I, I think you're really, you, you hit on something there with, with beating ourselves up. I think it's something we naturally do as women. Uh-huh. Um, and I think a lot of men probably do too, but um, in, in these relationships, we can tend to be really hard on ourselves and then, you know, self-doubt creeps in and, there's so many things. So it's, it's, um, that's really why we wrote this book is just to help people stay on track and remember, okay, I've got problems once in a while and I'm not perfect, but you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing the best I can. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I, 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 you know, I can take care of myself and I can always do better next time. But what you said about them kind of pushing buttons and triggers that that's, I mean, there's, there's a whole nother, you know, science around the hippocampus and the memory and, you know, being around that person makes your heart rate go up and you feel unsafe and, you know, you you don't really have as much access to the logic part of your brain, the reasoning part. And so you get stuck over in, in reaction area. And I've just really started teaching it this way of, of, you know, I used to say right and left brain, and now I just say the reactionary and the reasoning. Yes, brain, right? my therapist and used to used to say that it was the it was my child brain versus my adult brain, right? And like, that's true. And which is in charge? But I would let you know. I don't. I I would love for you to dive into that just a little bit because I think that's. I, I mean, it's the crux of this, right? It's why we react the way that we do, and I think it's it's incredibly important to talk about to to borrow a phrase. Um, what is indelible in the hippocampus and how that um, uh, impacts us in these relationships, right? I mean, it's, I think it's, I think, I think it's one of the most important things that we can talk about, really. Yeah. And, and I'm not, or just because I'm a science geek. <laughs> yeah, I know. Me too. The brain geek. I mean, who, who reads the polyvagal theory in therapy yeah. on a 16 hour plane ride, except this girl. Yeah, me, this girl too. I would totally read it. I like wrote it down. I was like, Oh yeah, I have to, I, I've been meaning to do some research on that. So. <laughs> You're pleasing it's a part, really, Fascinating stuff. We should write, do a plane ride together. I know, right? <laughs> oh my God. It was so awesome. Never shut up. Would we? So um, yeah, so I mean, I'm not uh, I'm not a neuroscientist, but I've I've been doing this long enough. I kind of understand. I think the you know the reaction, mm-hmm. the reactionary place we are, and um, you know even if you're not haven't been in a relationship with with someone who gets under your skin, you know it's just maybe a clerk at a store or something. There there are people like that that can get under our skin, but those other people that we've been in long relationships with, right? Oh yeah, you're 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 brain is remembering all that stuff and it, you have body memory and you have, uh, you know, you, you can go into panic. You can, you know, have anxiety, anxiety attacks, all of that. Just you remember when you're around that person, um, your body remembers it, your brain remembers it. And so that makes it harder for you to think logically. Yep. <laughs> so that's why self-care is so darn important. Mm-hmm. Um, so you prepare before you have a meeting with that person, whether it's an exchange or you're both going to the kids, you know, talent show at school. Anytime you're going to be around this other person, you need to have a checklist that you can check in on. You've got to be disciplined to do this. doesn't take much, but just remember, just put a reminder. Okay. Before I see this person, I need to practice this, practice this, remember this, da, da, da. Yep. All right. So go into, into it prepared because I find that it's when we're unprepared that we can panic, freak out, Absolutely. <laughs> say things we shouldn't, yeah. you know, whatever. So if you go unprepared that, okay, I'm going to stay calm. I'm going to manage. I'm going to keep things arms, arm's length. I'm going to meditate, whatever I have to do to feel okay when I'm around this person and to not be reactionary. Yep. Right. Yep. And if you find your, your heart rate going up, if you find yourself feeling anxiety, hatred, 
any of it, just take a piece of paper and a pen and start writing down a list about anything you can think of, like Christmas gifts, how to tie your shoe, um, oh, your next grocery shopping, like whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. It's the mere process of <clears throat> writing. It shoves you into the logic part of your brain. Oh my God, that's, that's the thinking brilliant, part. Megan. That's yeah. brilliant. So it's it's just the quickest quickest way, even you know, to dry up tears or anything. You just start writing a list. Write okay. anything down, and so your your primary goal is to just get yourself thinking. Because when you're thinking, you feel calmer. That's proven scientific fact. Right. Because you're now no longer in your just in your reactionary brain. You need a lot of flow going back and forth between your two hemispheres, the reactionary and the logic. And the more you know flow going across that bridge between them, the calmer you you will feel and the better decisions you'll make. So when you get around that special someone that makes you feel so anxious, um, you're going to feel that anxiety. And so you have, that's part of the preparation notes is, um, okay, I'm going to have a pen and paper. I'm going to do whatever I can do to make myself think. And that may be engaging in a conversation with someone else. Um, anything that will get you out of focusing just on that one person that he or she is sitting, you know, five feet away or five rows behind or, you know, yep coming around the corner, getting out of the car. So um, get yourself thinking and um, that'll help you feel calm. That is so, I mean, that's so brilliant. It's so simple and it's so easy to do and it's utterly brilliant because it does. It just completely activates the part of the brain that you need to be in control right now, right? Because yeah. when yeah. you're, yeah, because when that other part of your brain, the reactionary part of your brain, is in charge, you are you're kind of not to be trusted with your own with your yeah. Like you're not. That's, that's so good. Yes. Right? Like I always say, it's like your adult brain is asleep at the wheel, and your child brain is completely taken over, and it's ha- it's going to have a temper tantrum. It's going to have an anxiety attack. It's like anything, right? It's triggered. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, you're going to want to fight. Fight, fight, flight, uh, let's see. I always, yeah, those three. Yeah. And it can be a different one at any given time, you know, um, but, uh, those but are you your can, only you options. When you're yeah. Those are your only options when you're in reactionary brain and it's, they're so powerful, you know, those, yeah. those brain, mechanisms, the amygdala, all of that, who I have actually named Miggy. Because um, yeah. so many people had a hard time saying, how do you say that? Amygdala. So I just renamed him Miggy. Oh or it could be a her. I don't care. But Miggy and um, the corpus callosum, that bridge between the right and left hemispheres, you know, there's just, yeah. um, it's, it's, it's all, it's just incredibly powerful. Um and attentive to tone of voice and facial expressions and body language and all those things that we don't even know that our brain is, is watching out for us. Right. Right. From other people. And, um, it's kind of doing it behind the scenes. Like, is this person your friend or your enemy, your friend or your enemy? Uh-huh. And then it alerts us. And as soon as it alerts us that there's a threat, then our little bridge gets shut down over to logic land. <laughs> Reactionary, I want to get the hell out of here, or I want to, you know, I can't even talk. I'm just frozen. Um, so just be prepared for that and know, you know, test it out and see what you can do to help, you know, count to 10, start writing that list down. Whatever it is, you can get yourself that bridge opened up over into logic part of your brain where the calm emotions are going to help you feel better <laughs> so and help you feel safe. Yeah, right. right exactly. That, and that's it. Right. Cause you, because you don't, you suddenly feel not safe in your own skin, in your own brain, in your own body. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's where things get really scary is where you can't even feel safe in your own self. It is, it is. And the, you know, there's just so many things happening in the body, you know, when you get into that space, your, you know, the cortisol is released and, you know, that has an impact in your muscles and your whole system, your whole body. And then you're exhausted later. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> um, right. There's just so much. And I, I've been learning this, um, at my advanced age, um, <laughs> about 
keeping my stress low because I, you know, I run a couple of businesses. I'm out speaking and training and blah, blah, blah. I always have too much going on. And so I'm stressed a lot of the time. I don't know what you're talking about. I know. I figured it would be so foreign to you. (laughs) My life is just one big Zen party. That's so nice. I need to just really hang out with you more. No kidding. <laughs> I think we need to hang out together anyway, but <laughs> I know, I know, I know. We we talk polyvagal all the time. So great. But yeah, so I'm just trying to keep myself stress free as possible because it's so much harder on the body that I than I ever understood. And you know, I've I now have adult kids and mm. You know, it, you really you kind of look back on those years, and you know, I was a divorced mom, and um, I didn't have a high conflict co-parent. I mean, we both intentionally chose. It could have gone high conflict, right? Right. But absolutely, we, we we. I don't know. We both just, I guess, had some special dispensation or something to just just to say, okay, this isn't how we want it to go. Yeah. We we just. And we've done fine ever since, but, um, raising kids, all of those things, I've seen all the stresses that I've allowed myself to, to be under, like you have a choice when you're raising children, even adult children or any, you know, having a job, just living as a human being, you have a choice of whether to let something stress you out or not. And, um, you know, and to what level. And I think a lot of times I've chosen stress and that's very hard on the body (laughs) at the, at a time of life when you need the body to be, you know, sort of strong and, and all that it's, it's, you get, you can be really worn down if you allow stress to do that. And these high conflict co-parenting situations are immensely stressful. So, you know, I urge anyone who's involved in them to, to really take care of yourself. Yeah. Like you said, therapy is your best friend. Um, you know, just to have that insight and wisdom and, you know, to have a life coach added onto that is just magnificent. So a support group, you know, there's just a lot surrounding yourself with positive advocates for, you know, helping you check yourself, um, helping you sustain, helping you, you know, in, uh, you know, whatever ways that, that keep the, the naysayers and the negative people at, as far away as possible. Yep. Just don't need that. You know, the people saying, oh yeah, your ex is such an asshole. Uh, you know, you don't need that. Yeah. Right. And there's, and there's a difference between support and people who sort of egg it on and inflate yeah. it, right? Like your support system should be there for you to, for you to be a soft place to land rather than to um, sort of inflate the experience of the stress, right? Exactly. There's a real difference in that. I'm glad you mentioned that. I really am. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is, we could talk about this all day. Um, mm-hmm. So, I just want to, is there anything else that you, that's sort of from the, from your book? Cause I, the, the, the high, high conflict co-parenting, I think is really, um, so many of my listeners are going through that or f- have fears about it. Is there mm-hmm. anything else besides the self care, any little nuggets that you want to impart to them before we part? Yeah, I think the main things are, um, beyond taking care of yourself first and foremost, is to learn um, a few simple techniques. And we have another book out called Biff. Yes, um, absolutely. Responding to exactly where I was going. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be a game changer for people because, um, you know, I'm sure any of you listening out there, you, you, you've, you've been the recipient of a hostile email or text message or something. And um, a bill... He's, he's the genius behind all of this, you know, developed this technique of responding um, in a Biff way, which is brief, informative, friendly, and firm. And it's meant to contain the conflict instead of, instead of increasing the conflict, a Biff response will decrease the conflict. Yes. It doesn't mean it won't fire up again, da, 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 but you have a choice whether you want to respond or not, take some discipline. And then number two, if you decide you have to respond, you respond in with a Biff response. And it's, it's, I mean, there, we have, you know, parent educators and um, a variety of professionals around the world who require parents to read this book before they'll even let them come to a, you know, like a 
divorce education class or anything like that. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So that's a, that's a big nugget. And the other one is, is to remember that the person you're dealing with, you know, you have the power to manage that relationship. You don't have to let it manage you. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I'm not here to just tout our books, but this is what no, we do. Please do. So, <laughs> please do. You know, it's, 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 I would encourage you to read, uh, you know, there's a book, uh, we have a second edition coming out of Don't Alienate the Kids. And it's really, it's just, it's just packed full of everything. There's so many nuggets in there. Yeah. Um, but just really um, learning how to manage that relationship by setting boundaries Um you know, learning how to, to respond with, uh, to put that person in a safe space. You know, you can, you can do that. You, you, you have the power. You just have to learn how to do it. Yeah. Um, yes. using, oh, and I should mention ear. Um, Bill also came up with, uh, responding with ear to calm someone. So when someone's really upset, someone's screaming or yelling and want to have limits and boundaries first, but to keep that person calm, let's say you're in a mediation, divorce mediation, or, you know, whatever. Um, and the other person, your co-parent is heating up and stuff. You can um, manage them using empathy, attention, and respect. Yes. And it's the opposite of what you feel like doing because you may feel like looking at them or you may feel like running out of the room or crying or screaming because you're so upset. But you manage it with you know, oh, I, I, yeah, I can understand. That's probably pretty frustrating. Yep. And then you get them shifted over into thinking, mm-hmm. right? So you calm people first with ear, and then you get them thinking by saying, "So, what what ideas do you have to that we could resolve this? Have you thought of anything?" Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think that I think that what you know, I, I think a lot of people who are on the receiving end of this feel like that that's so much work, <laughs> right? It's like, why do I have to do all that work? And, and I think the answer to that is because if you, you're the energy that you're going to expend, if you're, if you're fighting, um, if you react in any other way, it's going to be, fu- it takes far more energy. Far. It does. And it, and the results are awful. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right? exactly. So exactly. It's, yep. it's, it's, it's really an interesting thing. And it's about getting what we call getting unhooked. You have to get unhooked from the emotional emotionality of it and it's hard hard when you're co-parenting when it's your own kids right and someone's turning the kids against you or you know it's just you're just kind of fighting it all the time you don't want to be that person but just like when you know like when you have cancer it's a hard job yep you've had children with someone that's made this a hard job right and now you have to do things differently and it does take some discipline but once you get used to it and practice it and it does take practice you just practice, you know, responding with empathy, attention, and respect, then get them thinking, you know, then that puts you in the management chair. And that's where you really do find your sanity. Yes. And, and your power, right? I mean, this power. an empowerment exercise because yeah. we feel like we're victims of this all the time, right? And we actually are not. We actually have the power to set the tone. Yeah. Yep. And so it it requires some confidence to start practicing. And then once you, you know, start practicing, you'll feel the results very quickly. It's the opposite of what you feel like doing. And it's the opposite of what they're expecting you to do. Yes. And so when you use empathy and uh, empathy, attention and respect ear on someone that puts them back into their safe space. Again, they go from fear to safety. And when people feel safe, Uh They feel okay around you again. So you want your your co-parent feelings in a safe space. Yep. Now, if they're if they're being jerks and they're you know screaming, yelling, stalking, and those things are you need to set limits. Yep. There are consequences and boundaries you have to have as well. Yep. But if, if you're at that school function, um, you know, or at the graduation, um, and that person starts coming at you a little bit, you just give them some empathy, attention, and respect, and, and it'll calm them down, put, make them feel safe. When people feel safe, they can think. And when people are thinking, they feel calmer. Brilliant. Utterly brilliant. Mike job. Like, exactly. <laughs> I mean, literally. <laughs> you know, if I could 
could just practice what I preach all the time. Well, and that's, that's, that's important to say too, yes, is that is, is, we don't have the market cornered on this individually. Right. It's, it, and when you're co-parenting with someone, you know, it, these are techniques that work, but you have to keep using them because this other person is not going to change just because, you know, long, t- you know, the stuff keeps flaring up, but the more you use ear and Biff with them, yep. um, the calmer the whole relationship will be. Yes. Yep. And, and the, and the, you know, and, and the better you're going to feel about yourself. That's, you know, I always say this, um, is that, you know, the idea of keeping your own side, this, this is the definition. I want everybody who always hears me say this. I want you guys to hear this. This is the definition of keeping your side of the street clean. When I talk about that, I always say, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on. There could be a fucking tornado happening on the other side of the street. If you are keeping your side of the street clean, you know, you're going to, you are going to shift the dynamic in this relationship. And this is exactly what I mean. You may not feel Mm -hmm. like having empathy for the asshole who's making your life, you know, a living hell. But if you think of it as a strategy, first of all, um, you're more apt to do it. But also, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to feel like you did not get ripped off of, you know, the foundation of your own value system and what you want to create for your children and, and the, and the peace and clarity that you want in your own life. So this is, this is that. (laughs) Right. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It is. And you're teaching your children, (laughs) your role modeling for your children. Yep. How to have empathy, attention, and respect, and set limits and have boundaries. Yes. That's where we really, even I have still have trouble with setting limits and um, and boundaries. In fact, Bill is uh, writing a book, I think, next year on setting limits with people with high conflict personalities. Uh, so, that, you know, I, it's really the hardest thing to do. Oh, it is. It is because their entire MO is, is to knock down any barrier that you set up or any boundary that you set. They're like, woohoo, there's a goal. I'm not going to have So it, I mean, it really is, it, it is such an exercise. It's so difficult. Um, and I want to say the other thing that you're modeling to your, to your kids, especially if, if the, if you're dealing with a high conflict co-parent is that you're also, you're educating them on how best to deal with this co-parent, how best to um, relate to them as well. Right. And so even though my ex and I are not in a, not high conflict at all, you know, we were when we were married and we have gone into high conflicts, you know, flares, of course. Um, and so when my son is afraid of daddy's temper or he's afraid of like talking to his dad about something or his dad finding out about something, I'm able to educate him and like, oh, honey, I totally get it. Daddy does react that way. Here's how I found is the best way to communicate with dad about something like this, right? Yeah. And then we're giving them tools to be able to manage high conflict people in their own lives, which they're, whether it's their parent or not, they're going to need. Um, but especially to, to teaching them how to have a healthy boundary relationship with a parent who they might need that with. Uh, well fed. It, it's, it's so true. They, they really, really need it because especially, I mean, any tools you can give them so that when they are away from you and at the other parents home, which they will right. be, yep. um, they, they, they go, you know, prepared with those tools so they don't feel, you know, beaten down or, um, afraid or, you know, they, they can have more confidence, um, in, in managing that. And it's interesting. Some kids actually learn those skills, you know, intuitively or innately and experientially, um, just by having a parent like that. Um, but they still, you know, uh, need those tools and they need, you know, protection from any, anything that goes beyond, uh, you know, into abuse or anything like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Megan, this has been so great. I am so happy that we got to have this conversation. Um, uh, people can find you over at the High Conflict Institute, right? That's right. Um, and your book is on Amazon. We'll, of co- everything will be linked in the show notes, as it always is. Um, but the book is the High Conflict Co-Parenting Survival Guide. Is there anything else that you want to leave uh, people with? Well, just um, with a little bit of hope that, you know, it may seem like you're in it um, and it'll, you know, be a long-term deal, but, you know, just 
just keep educating yourself and using ear and using diff. Um, those things will go a long way. Be a good role model for your kids. Have a support group and love yourself. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. It, uh, you, you have a great show and it's, um, you're doing a great service to help a lot of people. Thank you so much. I so appreciate that. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.